Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. This episode is part of our series on the Dobbs vs. Jackson Women's Health Organization case, and we're talking about what happened during the recent oral arguments and what might be coming next. We have Darrell Godsey, president of Heartbeat International, and Daniel White, our legal counsel, here to give you all of the details. They were actually in D.C. outside of the Supreme Court while the arguments were going on, so I'm sure there's some interesting insight there that they have for us. Uh, But before we get started, let me mention our sponsor, PregnancyHelpNews.com. If you'd like to keep up with news on the Dobbs case and other happenings in the pro-life community, go to PregnancyHelpNews.com and subscribe for their weekly updates. Thanks, Christine. Great to be back with you. I, now, a lot of this groundwork that we uh, we covered back with Dobbs 101, kind of discussing, like, why is this case important? We even went over some of the history of abortion law, Danielle, uh, that you kind of helped walk. We were, had Ellen with us as, as another attorney in that journey. So if you haven't heard much of that, I encourage you to go back and uh, go through Dobbs 101 first and then come back to this, because we really want to talk about, like, what happened that day? Like, what, what was the atmosphere like? What was the arguments that were proposed? And so I'm going to get to the arguments in a minute, Danielle, but the atmosphere was really interesting. It was uh, it was uh, uncharacteristically beautiful day in D.C. It was actually very crisp and cool, um, but we had an amazing turnout by the pro-life community. There was a lot of sidewalk activity out in front of the Supreme Court, and I think we outnumbered we, the pro-lifers, outnumbered the other side easily three to one, maybe four to one at, at any given point in time. Uh, of course, there was uh, competing decibels of of loudspeakers in the in the there was those two tracks running at the same time of the pro life presenters that were speaking at the at the foot of the steps of the of Supreme Court and then there was the the pro abortion speakers that were speaking and it was quite the contrast uh, of uh, of messaging on on the, amongst the pro lifers there was a tremendous sense of hopefulness like it's been 30 years since we've had an opportunity to have this type of of discussion at the Supreme Court level with that carried so much weight as uh, being uh, uh, really focusing in on Roe, uh, what that could mean. And it all really kind of comes down to um, the the 15-week ban that's being proposed by the state of Mississippi. And that's that's exactly what, what, um, what was at issue. There's a couple of big issues that the oral arguments focused on. But of course, the 15 weeks is below of this, the previous Casey line of viability. And so that's really why it makes it such a big deal. So Danielle, you you listen intently to the oral arguments uh, and you've listened to them not just once, but many times now. And so like, what did you hear particularly related to the 15 week and viability uh, line of questioning from the justices? Yeah, so the 15 week ban in Mississippi it's a lot easier to see where the court is going with that. Um, the argument had unusual amounts of clarity, I thought, in um, just kind of where the justices were and what they were thinking on the issues, um, particularly with respect to the the Mississippi ban that was at issue. I think it's very safe to say that this court will vote 6-3 on the Mississippi issue, meaning that six justices would vote to uphold the law the Mississippi law, and then three justices would will dissent and say that they would have struck down the law as unconstitutional. And as I'm listening to lots of different legal analysis, and yeah, 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 a lot of the analysts that I'm listening to and people that I respect, I think that are following this really closely and have been watching the court for a long time on this issue, there's broad agreement that the court is going to uphold the Mississippi law. The question remains not, you know, is this Mississippi law going to stand 
but rather how will the court uphold the law and what will be the reasoning and how will that impact abortion jurisprudence going forward or abortion case law going forward? Because the issue is, is of course, Casey and Roe, which are kind of the 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 standing uh, arguments or laws that are, and rulings I should say that that SCOTUS has maintained as a as a deflector of any other laws right coming they they've used Casey and Roe in, in varying ways to say uh, no this is a this is a constitutional right that that is to abortion and therefore it strikes down laws that try to erode that right. But now, in this day and age, the Mississippi law is basically challenging it head on. Um, so, so in, is that correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And more to the point, the the case law leading up to this point said that pre-viability, and this is where we get into the viability question, um, pre-viability, a state could not prohibit abortion, that prohibiting an abortion prior to the time of viability was unconstitutional. And Mississippi went ahead and prohibited abortion prior to viability anyway. Uh, And that's how that viability question finds its way to the court for this argument. Got it. So then as, as the argument unfolded, uh, there was this really interesting struggle between what the courts have previously decided and where they would land with this one. Because we heard, we heard this, uh, this uh, precept in law, which is uh, stare decisis, right? Which let the decision stand, right? That's the, that's the age old uh, precedent concept, con- construct, right? Well, we, we have to follow precedent. And, and of course, the argument against it is you can't follow precedent if the precedent was bad. We saw that, that the courts have had to uh, change their mind and, you know, reverse uh, precedents from the past in order to make things right. And that is the other thing that's at the core of this. If if the viability rule is not uh, a, a good line of, of demarcation for the law to observe, which is what was part of being partly being argued, right, that, that this is a, an untenable situation. And most of the justices actually affirmed that, that it was a, somewhat of an untenable area to hold because it's not a statement of fact, it's a statement of technology, right? It's, uh, it, we know it's been changing over time. So that puts every, that puts then where else do we draw the line, which now takes us back to uh, Roe really being in consideration. It's not a question of 15 weeks or 16 or 14 or 12 or whatever the number is, because that's as equally arbitrary. It's a question of, should we even be having this cons- considered as a right in our constitution. And that's where the argument really be- really discussed the role of the Supreme Court relative to deciding what are rights that we are to uphold. Right, right. I think we saw Justice Roberts grappling with that in a most pronounced fashion. I think it, it may be helpful to kind of um, place ourselves in where we think the justices might have been prior to oral argument, where might they have been inclined to vote. And so, um, you know, I think that it's, well, everybody knows it's very safe to say that Justice Thomas um, would vote to overturn Roe. He's said that in the past. I think it's very safe to say that Justice Alito would also vote to overturn Roe. I I think Justice Gorsuch is a fairly safe vote to overturn Roe. Then, of course, you have the three more liberal justices on the other side, um, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, and Justice Breyer. So really for this argument, all eyes were on three justices, and those ones were Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett, both of those are Trump appointees, and then Justice Roberts, who is the chief justice. 
And just some of Justice Roberts' questioning was very interesting as he was trying to figure out how does viability play into this, especially because of stare decisis. They're all wrapped up together. And as much as the court was kind of dividing them out or maybe trying to divide them out, if if the court's going to get rid of the viability line, it almost can't uphold stare decisis in a sense. Um, meaning if the court's going to follow its own precedent, it looks silly for the court to say like, well, we have to keep Roe because we have to keep our precedent. We have to follow precedent. But also the viability line is gone. But wait a second. The viability line would be entitled to precedential weight as well. So that's kind of the conundrum that they're in. And as far as trying to find some sort of a middle ground that doesn't overturn Roe, but still allows this law to stand, if the court were to allow the Mississippi law to stand, it seems to suggest that they would have to overturn Roe versus Wade, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Um, and so Chief Justice Roberts, at one point in the argument, um, saying that perhaps the viability line is not entitled to like this this precedent, um, the weight of precedent, because it's just dicta, um, which is a legal term for when the court is just kind of talking in their in their opinions, but it's not the central holding. It's not the main point of what the, the court was getting at. It's just dicta. Now with dicta, the lower courts don't have to follow dicta and it doesn't have precedent. So you could see Justice Roberts trying to kind of wriggle around like, well, maybe that viability line wasn't actually our holding. It was just dicta. And, um, and the advocates on both sides really weren't letting him go there. So the attorneys, both for the pro-life side and the pro-choice side, were really sticking to, look, you either have to overturn Roe or you have to strike down this this Mississippi law. Because the dicta is really statements that were made apart from the ruling or conversation upon which the ruling rested on, which I think I think was called out in the arguments that didn't this go back to the original Roe conversation and how arbitrary the in that instance the the trimester system was mm-hmm. or viability was also ar- uh, arbitrary it was it was the uh, original writers of Roe that made this uh, didn't that come out during this conversation it did and maybe we'll go to that kind of that portion of the argument we, we pointed out as an example your honor of where Roe and Casey uh, improperly preclude states from taking account for these things and they should be able to be concerned about the about a fact of uh, a, a, an unborn life being poked and then recoiling is in the way uh, one of us Sir, would recoil. General, I does um, uh, was I, I know what it said about viability in Roe, but was viability an issue in the case? I know it wasn't briefed or argued. It, it was. Um, it was not issue an issue. Certainly, the way it is an issue here, Your Honor. I, I think um, it was. To the extent that the court had to over had to um, reaffirm Roe, I, the way to read that as something other than dicta would be done. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't know what I said. Was it an issue in Roe? Oh, in, in Roe. Yeah, I'm sorry, Your Honor. Um, my understanding is no. I mean, the, the law there was uh, didn't have a viability tag that was inserted by. It. In fact, if I remember correctly, and I, I, it's an unfortunate source, but it's there uh, in his papers. Justice Blackman said that the viability line was actually was dicta, um, and presumably he had some insight on the question. 
I, I think, and I'd, I'd add, Your Honor, Justice Blackman, and in, in I think as well his papers pointed out the arbitrary nature of it and, and the line-drawing problems and in then, there, too. And then in Casey, Casey said that that was the core principle or the central principle in Roe, viability. It said that after tossing out the trimester formula, which many people thought was the core, uh, core principle. But was viability at issue in Casey? I don't think it was squarely at issue, Your Honor. Um, I, again, it's, it's a little hard not to take the court at its word when it emphasized that viability, the vi, the viability is, is the central part of Rose holding and saying that it is reaffirming that. So we kind of take that as, it's, as it stands. But the court has not — it did not face a law like this, certainly, Mr. Chief Justice. So there you can kind of see um, what Justice Roberts, I think, might have been exploring, which was, is there a way that we can let this Mississippi law stand while also upholding Roe and Casey? And I think what he was kind of proposing is, hey, we'll just say that the viability line was just dicta and the court, you know, they weren't really, it wasn't the central part of the holding in Planned Parenthood versus Casey to say, um, you know, that this viability line exists and it kind of dictates how these laws will be analyzed. I think that would be surprising to pretty much anybody who litigates uh, abortion law. It'd be certainly very surprising to the lower courts. I mean, the whole reason we're at the Supreme Court right now is because the Fifth Circuit um, struck down this law and said that this law is unconstitutional precisely because of the viability rule. And so I think as much as Chief Justice Roberts may want to be trying to finagle a way to to um, uphold precedent and uh, and also still allow this law to stand. I think that's going to be a difficult thing to for him to do, and you see that come out a little bit later on in the argument, particularly when Justice Gorsuch asks some questions of the other side. May I ask you a question about stare decisis, Counsel? Um, your, your colleagues on the other side have emphasized that uh, Casey rejected Roe's trimester framework and replaced it with an undue burden standard. They argue that the undue burden standard was uh, not well known to the law before that. Uh, and, and then they argue that the undue burden standard has evolved over time, too, in ways that the Court has found difficult to agree upon. In Hellerstadt, for example, they, they, they point out in their briefs that uh, the court seemed to suggest that a court should consider both the benefits and the burdens associated with the uh, proposed restriction. In June Medical, more recently, uh, the court splintered on, on, on that same question, uh, whether benefits could be considered or only burdens. And so the argument goes that this has proved to be uh, putting aside all the other, um, obviously, difficult questions in the case that, that, that the standard itself has proved difficult to administer and that that is relevant to the stare decisis analysis. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to respond. Yes, Your Honor. The first point I'd like to make is the undue burden test is not at issue in this case. That is the test that applies to regulations, not prohibitions. And the state has conceded that this is a prohibition. In fact, that's the title of this law, is an act to prohibit abortion after 15 weeks. And the only thing that's at issue in this case is the viability line. And the viability line has been enduringly workable. The lower federal courts have 
applied it consistently and uniformly for 50 years, and the Fifth Circuit here below had no difficulty striking down this law unanimously 3-0. So it's been an exceedingly workable standard. And if I may return to your question, Mr. Chief Justice, a reasonable possibility standard would not be workable. It would ultimately boil down to an argument that states can prohibit a category of women from exercising a constitutional right merely because of the number of people in the category. And that's just not how constitutional rights work. A state would never say that it could ban religious services on a Wednesday evening, for example, simply because most people could attend religious services on another night of the week. So so I actually just wanted to uh, — that's helpful, I think. I just want to make sure I understand what you're telling me, counsel, that that if the court were to — in this case, step past viability and apply undue burden, the undue burden test to uh, regulations prior to viability, you would agree with the other side, I, I think, that that's not a workable standard. Is, is, that, is that a fair understanding of what you're, you're telling the Court? No, Your Honor. I, I you believe, think that would be workable? I believe, that, if I may clarify, I believe the undue burden test has been workable for regulations. That I, I, I understand that. I, I, if it were to apply, if the Court were to, and I thought this is what you were saying in response to the Chief Justice, but maybe I'm mistaken. Uh, please correct me if I am. But it, what, what is your argument against applying the undue burden standard prior to viability? If the undue burden standard, as this Court laid out in Casey, which includes the viability line, no, is no, no. I'm, I'm asking I — know, I know, we're fighting the hypothetical here, counsel, all right? Accept the hypothetical. Hypothetically, the Court were to extend the undue burden standard to regulations prior to viability. Would that be workable or would that not be workable in your view? Without viability, it would not be workable, Your Honor, because it would ultimately, again, always come down to a claim that states can — bar a certain category of people from exercising this right simply because of the number of people in the category. And that's not a workable standard, and it's not a a constitutional I appreciate that clarification. Thank you. So you can see Justice Gorsuch kind of swinging around to um, that idea of viability and uh, could, could the court get rid of the viability line and leave the rest of Roe and Casey intact and uh, and then you hear the the pro-abortion attorney there, um, Julie Rinkelman, who's arguing for um, the Center for Reproductive Rights. You hear her saying, no, Your Honor, we couldn't do that. That wouldn't be workable. Um, and so she's really setting up a um, – there's kind of a no middle ground sort of argument here. And I was thinking about that because it, it seems like a strange – thing for her to do to set up a, you either overturn Roe or strike down the Mississippi law. Um, But the reality is that her job is to advocate for her client, um, which is the abortion clinic there in Mississippi. And so um, it probably would have been better for her strategically to say, yeah, you could get rid of the viability line and, and just allow undue burden to carry the day. But that wouldn't have that wouldn't have protected the interests of the abortion facility there in Mississippi. And she's trying to to get that law struck down. So what's, I guess what's interesting to me about that is that in arguing to strike down the Mississippi law, she may be positioning the court to overturn Roe, which is just sort of wild to me. So you say positioning, meaning in, in one way, she's trying to put them on the horns of the dilemma, right? She's trying to basically say, oh, no, there's no none of this fuzzy middle ground. You either have to stay where we are 
or you're going to have to go radical is kind of what she's implying. Yes. Uh, when, of course, when, of course, it's her position, that's what's radical and remains radical. But um, part of that is uh, is kind of captured in really Kavanaugh's line of discussion because he he calls out, hey, by the way, this august body has re- has reversed itself a number of times. And he doesn't list just one or two. He lists eight different times where the court has reversed itself on its own precedent, you know, really. And he goes right after stare decisis. But to me, Danielle, what he, what he does is he brings out this, these two words, which I thought, wow, that's really amazing. This, he, he seems to advocate for the position of the court to be scrupulously neutral. Mm-hmm. And and that goes to the heart of really the what the court is called to do versus what the legislature is called to do, which goes at the very heart of Roe, because Roe was seven unelected justices determining and reading into the Constitution this this right that they produce basically out of thin air that protects abortion in our land. So this is essentially the justices acting as super legislators because but not not elected ones which is kind of the argument for uh, against Roe why to overturn it because this is such a controversial issue that the courts weighing in and and declaring it a right therefore protecting it from any legislators looking at it is is a problem and maintains the controversy and Kavanaugh steps in and says well shouldn't we be scrupulously neutral on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've got the clip for that. I think the other side would say that the core problem here is that the court uh, has been forced by the position you're taking and by the, the cases to pick sides on uh, the most contentious social debate in American life and to do so in a situation where they say uh, that the Constitution is neutral on the question of abortion, the text and history, that the Constitution's neither pro-life nor pro-choice on the question of abortion. Uh, and they would say, therefore, it should be left to the people, to the states, um, or, or to Congress. Uh, and I think they also then continue, because the Constitution is neutral, that this court should be scrupulously neutral on the question of abortion, neither pro-choice nor pro-life, but because they say the Constitution doesn't give us the authority, we should leave it to the states and we should be scrupulously neutral on the question. And that they are saying here, I think, that we should return to a position of neutrality uh, on that contentious social issue rather than continuing to pick sides on that issue. Yeah, so Justice Kavanaugh there kind of framing it as, here's what the other side would say. But one has to wonder if Justice Kavanaugh might also say that himself. (laughs) Um, So if you're keeping score at home, um, we've got, I think, an easy 6-3 for leaving the Mississippi law in place. So that leaves the question of how will the court do it? Will they find some sort of strange or invent some sort of new standard or test? Will they just leave us with this undue burden standard that has been very, very difficult for the lower courts to um, to administer uh, and will lead to a ton more litigation as we all try and grapple with this undue burden standard as it's applied to a pre-viability law? 
or will the court reverse Roe? And there are a lot of analysts that are saying Roe is Roe's on the ropes. Um, and so if you're keeping score on the Roe count, you know, you've got your three liberal justices who would not vote to overturn Roe. You've got three that I think are fairly safe um, reverse Roe votes. But man, you listen to Justice Kavanaugh in that oral argument, and I would say he's a pretty safe fourth vote. Um, Justice Barrett had some moments where she, it seemed like she was questioning um, uh, stare decisis, which is an idea we haven't gotten into yet in this this podcast. But um, we talked at length about stare decisis in the Dobbs 101 podcast. Um, but there were definitely some questions that indicated that Justice Barrett was just not convinced that Roe is some sort of super precedent that the court has to adhere to um, simply because it's been decided in the past. So. You know, I think that there may there may very well be five to overturn Roe, um, and you know it's dangerous to make a prediction just based on oral argument. And here's why: um, oral argument was on Wednesday. On Friday, the the very next Friday after the oral argument, the court gathered together all of the justices in one room, and they gave a preliminary vote. Nobody knows besides them and perhaps their clerks where that vote landed. But um, once that vote was given, uh, then the drafting process begins. And a lot of this is going to have to shake out in drafting. And there's lore that Justice Kennedy, back when Planned Parenthood versus Casey was being decided, initially voted to overturn Roe and then in the drafting process changed his vote. So um, our work here isn't done as we try to continue to encourage the court to um, to do the right thing and to overturn Roe, give this issue back to the people. That's why you'll still see lots of analysis and pieces kind of um, grappling with some of the issues that were raised in oral argument, maybe trying to give different perspectives and ideas and encourage the court. Um, and it's also a good call to prayer um, that you know these justices are going to be grappling with these issues for the next several months. We would expect an opinion sometime in June, so six months or so. And a lot can change between oral argument and when the actual opinion is issued. And one of the reasons that that is is because voting on something yes or no is not the same as having to draft the actual reasoning behind that vote and and what will sustain that vote. And that's part of the adventure. I, I know listening to some of the of the lawyers who were involved with the the with arguing the case, that's really what they were kind of saying is like, hey, you can imagine some kind of line exists between uh, between vi the viability line going away and not overturning Roe, but finding it and writing it is a, is a different story altogether. And I thought that that was fascinating, right? Like having to kind of then sit down and rationalize the exact place where these, that line ought to be is no small task. Uh, we, we find it hard to envision, not that courts haven't been able to kind of weave their way into that, you know, in, in varying ways and, and with varying justifications, but that still remains to be seen whether or not that will happen. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, it's gonna, be a process as the as the court grapples with that um, that line, and you know I think if if you have five justices who are um, willing to overturn Roe, it would be curious to see maybe maybe Justice Roberts would go with them just to if Roe's going to be Roe's going down, maybe he'd want that to be a little bit more of a cohesive court that's issuing such a momentous decision. So we'll see. Um, 
we will. And I, I was reading today actually an uh, article that talked about you know he's already really proposed all of the elements. He supported all of the elements in other rulings that would need to come together in order to overturn Roe. That he's he already has that in in and proposed those varying elements in different rulings for different reasons, but the rationale is all there in his own words to to overrule or to to um yeah overrule Roe to to return the issue back to the states and and um undo that that right in the constitution that Roe found originally and Casey upheld. So it's gonna be very interesting, Danielle, and we'll We'll uh, we'll probably be reading all the tea leaves between now and then, but uh, and, and really, what we have to wait for, to barring anything unusual, is that uh, we will see the ruling late June, right, or, or early July, possibly. Yeah, that that's right. Yep, most likely. So they'll they'll toss it out the front door of the Supreme Court and then run out the back door, right? That's kind of in my <laughs> mind. That's what I always envision <laughs> happening, uh, which comes comes to us really from the tradition is uh, of them assembling and then returning to their homes. But uh, it's not quite that way now. But it really is um, how that works. And so the, there could be there will be a certainly a decision. Well, short of them just simply saying no, thank you, We're, we've decided to let the fifth court. Uh, uh, ruling stand like that's a possibility, although a, uh, not not doesn't seem to be a strong one. There, there it, we've seen we've seen uh, rulings, and then we've seen concurring rulings, and then we've seen, of course, dissent, and then sometimes multiple dissents, right, from from different positions. So there there really could be a tapestry of a response that we see either arising from all three groups in different ways, uh, all, all the three or any one of them. Right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I can only imagine, uh, would be curious to see Thomas, right. Is if he is going to write something separate because he's probably been the most vocal on, on his opposition from the current justices, uh, uh most vocal in opposition, uh, to Roe and to Casey. And, uh, we look forward to anything that he would write on this. Hopefully it's going to be in concurrence or maybe he would write that ruling who knows, but, uh, we'll, we'll see. And, uh, we'll be, this is something, as you said, is, a great time to be praying uh, for uh, I, my, my contention. People ask me, well, how should I pray? It's like, well, you know what? It's, it's never wrong to pray for righteousness, right? That righteousness would prevail. Uh, we, we pray for our justices to have that kind of clarity, even for those that, um, that have uh, constantly stood on the other side of this issue. We would certainly pray for it for them uh, to have a change of heart. Uh, it would be uh, an amazing statement if they would recognize that 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 the if they would read the tea leaves of the of this I think separately almost all of the justices have have indicated some I mean uh, RBG um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, famously argued or, or or suggested that Roe was wrongly decided and yet she upheld it whenever she had a chance to to do that in her in, in rulings or voting in favor of rulings uh, for that kind of right. So we'll see what they do. Um, it gives us something to do as well as to continually wonder, like, what's going to happen next? And what will that mean? Like, what will any of this mean for the pregnancy help movement? That's going to be an adventure that we're discussing in other in other podcasts, but it, it's going to have its footing. And we won't really know what that means until we see the wording that comes out in the rulings. Um, but that gives us an opportunity to uh, to pray and to continue to um, pray for righteousness and then be ready to act righteously. 
For more on the Dobbs case, go to heartbeatservices.org slash Dobbs for links, articles, webinars, and we just have a wealth of information um, on there that we continue to add to. Also, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. Have a great rest of your day, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.